You're listening to The Athletic Mind with your host, Taylor Cook and Lauren Williams. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. All right, back at it. I have taken quite a hiatus. Things have been a little hectic on my end, but always happy to be back. Always excited to get back into this locker room and and chat about some really important things on, you know, the mental performance side and get back into it with you, Taylor. Um, and I think today is going to be a great conversation for everyone listening. We're going to be talking about how mental performance training can be an awesome proactive measure that can have profound impacts on mental health. And to start this off, I'm going to just put out the caveat there that neither of us are mental health practitioners. Um, I have my master's in clinical mental health, but I am not licensed. Um, I, I have that degree and it informs me on what's clinical and what's not. Um, and typical treatments for those things. But as I said, I'm not licensed. So everything that Taylor and I talk about here will have that mental performance lens because that is what we specialize in. And we also acknowledge the, the difficulties within the healthcare system that we both exist in, whether that's in Canada, the US or Europe, when it comes to receiving sufficient mental health care. So if um, you are struggling with mental health or you know someone who's struggling with mental health, I will always urge people um, to reach out to crisis hotlines if that's what will help you um, to reach out to your family practitioner to have a conversation about mental health. But if you or someone you know is in a spot where you think that maybe they just need some tools and strategies to use to help them along the way, this conversation is absolutely going to be for you. And we want to frame this as these are proactive things that you can do before you get to that point of needing to reach out to a crisis hotline. Couldn't have said it better myself. And, you know, put out an episode by the time this comes out, it's going to be two weeks ago. And that was specifically talking about, you know, mental health awareness for professional and student athletes. And I put professional and student athletes, but it's really for athletes of all ages because we're starting to see a lot more mental health issues come up in youth as well. And there's a lot of potential reasons for this. And maybe, you know, the constant screen time is maybe got a little something to do with that. <laughs> um, but you see my face? <laughs> I do see your face. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, like the constant screen time, of course, but uh, I think especially in sports, a lot of it does come back to the leadership group that oversees the teams, the athletes, and in the organizations and such. And Lou, I know you had a, a really big presentation on this a couple weeks ago, so yeah. you had some really great stats and I'm excited to hear them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got to, I got to present at the American Hockey Coaches Association, uh, convention in Naples, Florida, um, a couple weeks ago, which was awesome in the sense of, you know, getting to get up in front of coaches of, you know, men's teams, women's teams, division three, division one, um, within the NCAA. And the reason why I got selected to give this talk is because, the original topic that I had proposed was um, how mental performance training can increase student athlete well-being and athletic achievement, right? So, so getting across that mental performance training is good for mental health and it's also good for performance as well, right? Because that's what coaches are really worried about is their people performing. Mm -hmm. And as I got closer to doing the talk, I realized that what they were really looking for were resources, things that they could do. Um, and within that, it's kind of a, 
sticky place to be, right? Because I'm not, I'm not going to go there to try and teach them how to be a mental health practitioner or how to be a mental performance coach, because that would take months. And I had 25 minutes to present. So when I was thinking about what often has the biggest impact on student athlete well-being and mental health, it's leadership. And like, I took a lot of stats from corporate, which has a lot of carryover into the athletic space, because let's face it, if you're a professional athlete, it's, that's your job. <laughs> and increasingly in the NCAA, like you said, Taylor, with like NIL deals and all that, it's a job, right? And even if you don't have an NIL, let's say you're on a full scholarship, you are literally getting paid to go to school to play your sport. So you can't tell me that it's not a job. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I digress. Um, some of the research that they've done in corporate spaces, which they're pumping a lot of money into, because corporate's all about making that money. Um, they found that toxic culture increases depression by 300%. Is this a staggering number? Oh and God. yeah, and toxic culture, when you think about culture in general, culture comes from leadership. Right. And it's not to say that in these toxic workplace cultures that you have leaders who are actively trying to make people feel like crap about themselves, who don't care about their people. That's not the case. Um, There's another stat that we've talked a lot about in Elite, how the majority of leaders in corporate don't receive training until they're 42 years old. And most leaders are a leader by 30. So there's a 12 year gap there where they're not receiving any leadership training. So how can we expect them to just know how to create high performance environments? Another digression. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in, in addition to that, toxic workplaces added an incremental $16 billion in employee healthcare costs. So this is important and we're seeing it increasingly. And then If you want to talk about performance within a negative workplace environment, um, studies found that individuals uh, who worked in a negative workplace environment, 48% of them intentionally decreased their work effort, 38% intentionally decreased the quality of their work, and 78% said their commitment to the organization declined. So taking that from corporate lingo into the athletic space, you have... 48% of your athletes potentially showing up to practice and not really working their hardest. You have 38% who aren't focused in on the small details and getting better. Uh, 78% who are starting to say like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to go to a new team. I'm just going to enter the transfer portal. So the environment that we create is so important because it impacts all of these things and leadership the way that you lead people is what impacts them the most. Within um, workplaces, they found that managers, and which coaches are, coaches are mid-level managers. We have athletic directors who are our boss. And then, you know, the president of the university, also your boss. But the coach is kind of the boss of the players, right? Um, managers impacted their employees' mental well-being more than a therapist, more than a doctor, and just as much as that person's partner or spouse. So leadership is the starting point to uh, starting to address mental well-being within our athletes. Well, and it's quite imperative to obviously talk a little bit more about okay how is it that you know leaders and coaches for example are going to be able to start to create an environment for their athletes and I think maybe that's a, a topic for another day but mm-hmm. like this is clearly an important matter like I can think of times from when I was whether it was in junior or in university or even just like having a a coach, even in the, the professional area, like having a coach that constantly disrespected players or didn't care about any of the, what their players were 
were doing or what was impacting them outside of out of the game mm-hmm. yeah I'll, I'll be honest like I didn't try as hard I didn't really yeah. care as much because like why should I be giving you my best effort when you're treating everybody else whether it's me or my teammates like shit yeah it's a, it's a great question right why why would I invest my time and energy into somebody who clearly doesn't have enough time and energy to give a crap about me that's that's what people-centric leadership is trying to get people to do mm-hmm. right when you care about your people your people care about you Mm-hmm. and when your people care about you they want to go to war for you right they want to work hard they want to put the time and effort in mm-hmm. and I had a like in my college experience I had a I had a great experience um and I have grown to have a huge amount of respect for my coaches in college but there were times where I felt like none of them really know knew who I was they didn't know what I did away from the rink. They never asked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now being a college coach, I can see how easily that happens because you're busy. Mm-hmm. There's 25 other people on the ice that you're trying to have these touch points with while also leading the group. So it can be difficult, but it absolutely impacted my desire to want to show up when the rest of my life was hectic and crazy and when I was you know coming from an exam that I think I just bombed (laughs) yeah it impacts your your desire to want to show up and then if that goes on long enough it starts to permeate into other areas where it's like I'm not sleeping as well anymore I really don't feel motivated to do anything right now I'm getting really anxious about what other people think about me because I don't know what my coach needs right? Like it, it just snowballs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're a hundred percent right. And you know, you're talking about the, the people centric leadership, which is exactly the same as, you know, athlete centered coaching. We've done an episode on this before. So if you haven't given that one a listen already, go back, find it and give it, give it a go because Mm -hmm. it's full of a lot of really, I would say imperative, important and quite interesting information. Uh, especially for for the coaches who are looking to get a little bit more progressive with their coaching style like that's where that's where you need to start honestly like you have to give a shit about your players not just as athletes but as people Mm -hmm. that is like the point that we have to absolutely drive home because you know I, I remember when I was in university and like I was super lucky I had the same coach throughout university all five years and he was a great coach. I would say he was like decently progressive, maybe had some of those like more old school tendencies here and there for sure. Um, but I will say that he still cared about all of the athletes and like, maybe it didn't show up all the time, mm-hmm. but he definitely cares for the people that he brings into the program and make sure that he does what he can to support in any way possible. Um, But even so, this is the reason that we need to have these conversations about the mental health, because as a coach, there's only so much that you're able to do still, right? Yeah. Like, yes, I had pretty great support from from my coach, but individually, as a person, I didn't know how to cope or manage with a lot of these things because I had these real maladaptive strategies on how to be the best person, the best athlete, the the best in every single realm of life that I could possibly be that I didn't rest, didn't know how to rest. If I had, if I had spare time, it was like, I should be doing something like I'm getting behind because I have this spare time to sit down and have a full meal, for example. But I should like in my head, I'm thinking, I should be doing something else. Like if, if I'm not doing something now, somebody else is going to get the the advantage. And like, that's, that's how you start to think. And when you get into thinking that way all the time, mm-hmm. you're pushing yourself emotionally, mentally, physically to the point of exhaustion. 
Yeah. And that's when the mental health starts to spiral downwards. And that was exactly what my experience was. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason, the reason why we're, like, I know we're, we said, we're talking about how mental performance training can impact mental health. The reason why we're starting with this coaching piece is because if you're a coach listening to this, you can't start to apply these mental performance strategies and, and training modalities, and then go back to being a 1.0 leader because it's not going to stick, mm. right? You, it has to be genuine and you have to set up an environment where you're fostering growth and development on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. If your primary goal isn't creating better human beings first, and you're totally focused on the outcome and the points and the wins or losses, then any of this mental performance training stuff that we're going to talk about you're going to give it to your players and they're going to try it for a little bit, but then they're not going to see the results that you're so focused on because progress takes time. Mm-hmm. They're going to try it for a week and then they're going to go, yeah, well, he, he or she really doesn't care anyway. So I'm just going to throw this back in the trash and go back to the way that I was doing things. Mm-hmm. So that's why we started with the leadership, but now let's get into some of the, the mental skills training and, and how it can help. Well, I think it's maybe important to preface the whole conversation around how those mental skills can impact your mental health and, and well-being as an athlete by first sharing a little bit about you, Lauren, and your journey, because I think you got into you know the mental coaching space a little bit before I did, like five, six, seven, maybe years uh, before <laughs> me, <laughs> but it's oh. good to, to share the experience of like what that struggle was and then on the flip side, how those tools were able to help you get back to like that equilibrium that you needed to be at. And then from there, go on and thrive in your sport. Yeah. Um, I can start, I could start this story in high school. Um, but I think what I'm going to do instead is start it uh, after my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, so Take note of the fact that I was working with these tools for years. Um, and the first couple of years that I was working with them, I hadn't fully bought into um, all of the change and all of the commitment that it takes uh, to literally rewire the way that your brain works. Um, but by the time I got into college, I was like, well, okay, so it's still not working. So I need to do it. Um, so my freshman year of college was a huge, huge uh, bump in the road in terms of, you know, going up to that level, um, adjusting to the pace of play, adjusting to the increase in skill and basically expecting myself to be perfect in a year where it just wasn't going to be possible. Uh, I had it in my head that I was going to come in as a freshman and be a top four D right out of the gates. I was going to be the go-to Um, I was going to be power play penalty kill because that's what success looked like to me. Right. So that was the only gauge of what being successful looked like. So of course I want to be successful and I wanted all of those things. Uh, I forgot reality somewhere and um, left behind this idea of growth and development. So I was always looking for these outcomes and I wasn't getting them, which put me into a really deep hole of, I'm not good enough. Why am I here? My teammates probably think I'm terrible and I'm some kind of fraud for getting here. Uh, And getting out of my freshman year, which was extremely frustrating. I think I played in probably three quarters of the games, but I got healthy scratched a a good amount. Um, You get into your freshman summer or going into your sophomore year. And we used to stay on campus and train. And I took this attitude of, well, I'm just going to work really, really hard in the gym. I'm going to be the most fit. I'm going to be the best in the weight room. Um, I'm going to eat really well. I fully bought into it to the point where I I did start to struggle a lot. And I think I still do with, with body dysmorphia and, um, 
I was never good enough in that sense. Like I was never lean enough. I was never fit enough. Um, I never got to the point where I had an eating disorder. I certainly think that I engaged in a lot of disordered eating to try and push me to that point of like finally being good enough. And I definitely started to struggle with sleep. I couldn't turn my thoughts off at night. I wasn't doing enough. I needed to be better. Like all that kind of stuff was just cycling on repeat. And when I realized that my brain was keeping me from doing something that I knew was extremely important, which was resting through sleep, that's kind of when I hit that little bit of a bottom. I wouldn't say rock bottom, but I hit a bottom somewhere and figured, okay, so I need to reach out to a coach again. I need to start working with Susan and, and figuring out what's going on here. And that's where the mental tools of, you know, figuring out what was triggering me. What, what were my red flag emotions? What was I feeling? And where was that coming from? Um, journaling and writing that stuff down so that I could get to the, the core of these belief systems that were reinforcing that if I wasn't perfect, I wasn't good enough. Fully understanding them and then working to rewire them so that perfection wasn't the standard I was trying to reach actually using tools to more effectively set realistic goals that I could measure through um, the progress that I was making through very specific, uh, whether it was amount of reps at a certain weight or noticing that I was having these red flag emotions less and less throughout a week. Um, that's what I think saved me from going into a full-blown eating disorder or getting diagnosed with anxiety or depression because I was well on my way at that point. Well, you, I mean, there's a lot that we can definitely go through and unpack there. Um, oh, yeah. So I got baggage. <laughs> don't we all mm -mm. us athletes? We know uh, how to carry it pretty well, I guess sometimes, but uh, yeah. what do you mean? Come on. It's just, it's just a hundred pounds of shit. <laughs> oh Lord. I should um, still be able to run a marathon with that, Taylor. Come on. <laughs> ambitious. I'm going to be the best. Oh God. <laughs> um, Don't fool yourself. <laughs> oh, I mean, I want to get into the, like the training conversation after like about training after sport on a different episode for sure because there's yeah. a lot going on in my brain right now about that um <laughs> but I do want to to you know go back and touch on a couple of things that you you just mentioned so first um talking about the the body dysmorphia disordered eating and eating disorders we do have an episode with a registered mm -hmm. dietitian that goes through a lot of those things so if you are somebody who has struggled or if you know someone who has or is struggling like please send them that resource hopefully that can be of some of some use to a certain extent and of course reach out to like a, a health practitioner um to to get the help that, that you need and the support that you need uh two the talking about the idea of success for athletes I like that you brought that into the conversation because I was thinking about this last, this past week, actually. And this was after I recorded the episode on mental health awareness for professional and student athletes. And the one point that I did talk about is like, you know, as athletes, we look up to these, these, these athletes as our idols. Like we yeah. truly idolize them and we put them into like this lens of, being this extra, you know, extraordinary human being who can do all of these athletic things and, you know, setting records and winning championships. And then we kind of hold ourselves to that standard almost like this is what success looks like, because that's the only success that we're able to see. And yeah. then we don't really know. And maybe it's changing now, but we don't really talk about what it looks like to get there very often. I think that is changing a little bit, but mm -hmm. a lot of the assumption is this perfectionism piece that goes like, I have to be perfect to get to that level. When yeah. in reality, 
it's not about perfection at all because if it was then you'd be able to do it no problem um well no none of us would be here none of us would be here because there's no such thing as perfect like Like nobody all or nothing yeah 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 and and that's kind of what I meant, right? Like, yeah, like if, if everything was perfect, then you would be able to do it. No problem. But that's not how yeah. life is. So like, let's yeah. talk about, you know, what it is to look like about what, what the progress, what work do you have to put into, to get to that point, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of wanting to like deconstruct that idea of success, especially for the younger athletes, because I don't think they really think about the work that has to get put in to get to that next level or to that big ideal dream that they have for themselves. Yeah. And I think it's worth kind of sidestepping here a little bit to talk about why, um, why they learn that the prolific goal scorer is the only person that matters kind of like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, everybody wants to be the the 30 goal getter in a season. Nobody wants to be the, the stay at home D that, you know, gets pucks out and and does their job and it's not fancy let me know uh your goalies want you to be the stay-at-home d that protects the zone really well (laughs) yeah but nobody nobody talks about that player and Mm -hmm. i just saw a really really great example of this in the nhl playoffs so the the biggest focus so far with the maple leafs have been that their top four so marner nylander Matthews and Tavares haven't been producing mm-hmm. it, they're not producing they're not doing what they're supposed to and I'm like how about their fourth line yeah who, who they've got three goals mm-hmm. like why don't we talk about that why aren't we looking at these other players saying like these guys are doing their job mm-hmm. they're it's excelling a team sport <laughs> it's a team so like all of these kids learn to glorify the position that Marner's in or the position that Matthews is in because they get a lot of attention mm-hmm. and attention is one of the biggest ways that we learn to validate ourselves as kids. Mm-hmm. So number one, like you have to remember that news reporters and everybody who's commentating on sports is trying to make it sensational. So if there's a problem in the fact that you're, 30 goal scorer hasn't scored in two playoff games they're gonna tell you about it mm-hmm. they're not gonna tell you about the fourth line guy that's like putting in work and is creating offense other ways mm-hmm. they're also not gonna talk about the other stuff that Marner and all those guys have been doing all playoffs which is setting other lines up for success mm-hmm. even though they're not having the success they're still doing a lot of things right but it's not getting the goals. So we're going to complain about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one, there's that, right? We learn to to idolize these people because they get the most attention and mm-hmm. we want attention. So then we want to be like them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to your point, it, it, we play a team sport. <laughs> not everybody can be that person. No, and, and you shouldn't have to be that person either. Like there's the playmakers, no. there's the people who go way under the radar, but like without them in that position that they're in, they'd have a completely different lineup because that person plays and fits that specific role. And that's like a whole, like, we're getting into like all these other side conversations and it's, it's tough <laughs> because there are so many factors that go into this, but to, to push forward a little bit. So like going through that experience, mm-hmm. once you got into those mental tools, mental, tr- mental strategies, which you said that you, you know, had the exposure to before, but hadn't really gotten serious about until you got to that point. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that turnaround. Like how, how did that feel to go from where you're at in your freshman year, not feeling not feeling too hot because you have all these unrealistic expectations up here um but then yeah. to get into like sophomore and junior year and have a turnaround um well number one I learned how to validate my own progress which is the most important piece of the puzzle the freshman year I had it in my head that because I wasn't playing every game like some of my classmates were that I wasn't as good as they were, or I had a lower ceiling, or I was just never going to be that player. Mm -hmm. And because I was so focused on that, 
a lot of my practices, yeah, I was working real hard, but I was running into a brick wall repeatedly and telling myself that it was progress. Um, and I also, you know, I wasn't the most focused. If one bad thing happened to me in practice, it threw me off for the rest of the day. So being able to hone in on the things that I was thinking and understand that, you know, telling myself that I wasn't good enough actually wasn't making me want to be better. <laughs> uh, was a, was a great, <laughs> yeah, right. You can tell yourself that you're a piece of crap for so long and then it stops working and you just start to believe it, which is so debilitating. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, then I got into the, all right, so if I, I understand that perfection is not the goal anymore, it's just progress. Well, I need to be able to measure the progress. I need to be able to actually see it mm-hmm. so that I can validate the work that I'm doing. So I don't feel like I'm just running up against a brick wall anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started setting really specific goals. I would talk to my coaches and even my teammates and say, you know, what's one area of my game that you think I need to improve on? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it was like speed and transition, um, being able to keep forwards to the outside. Right. And then you take those small things and learning this bit is huge. You take those details within your game and then you break them down into action steps, things that you can actually do. And then I would go into practices with a plan. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter if I was executing them or not. I just knew that I needed to work on them Mm -hmm. and that if I worked on them consistently and with purpose, that I would st- I would start to see progress because the yeah. more you do things, the better you get at them. Mm-hmm. Repetition is key. Repetition is key, right? And when you're not expecting yourself to be perfect anymore, you actually get to do that because the first time you make a mistake doesn't mean that like, oh, you're done now because you're not perfect. Yeah. Hmm, how can I do that differently? Mm-hmm. Um, so my practices became more goal-directed. I became more efficient on the ice in terms of like I didn't make a mistake and bury myself for 30 minutes and then revive in the last Mm -hmm. five minutes for mini games um and yeah I actually started to see progress and I and I got I started to get better Mm -hmm. and this is a great great like point here just to Mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about okay so like that's how it can impact the athletic performance side and yeah. for me, and I know for you as well, like one of the biggest like takeaways that I want any client that I work with is to recognize that these are not only applicable to your sport. Oh. There are so many ways that you can apply these same tools, these same strategies to other areas of your life as well. Yeah. And this is why when we're saying that mental performance coaching is proactive to managing and sustaining mental health in athletes. Because like you said, at the very beginning of this, coaches want to see the results, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's what they want to see. So let's check the boxes here. Mental performance coaching is going to help your athletes maintain and get better results than what they are potentially giving you right now. Two, as a, as a leader, you want to make sure that you are an athlete centered coach or a people-centric leader. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mental performance coaching is going to provide your athletes with the mental health support that they need, right? That makes you the athlete centered coach that you need to be by telling your athletes like, Hey, I care about you first as a person. And mm-hmm. I, of course, simultaneously also care about your athletic performance. Yeah. So I just wanted to like, Make those two points very obvious in case people that are listening are kind of wondering like, okay, like, yeah, we see like, yeah, you you were able to apply these to your, to your sport and stuff, but how is this, you know, really impacting mental health? Well, the bottom line is that these tools and strategies that we teach our athletes are applicable to other areas of life and does help them to manage expectations or manage stress and cope with stress to be able to build that mental resilience piece that's going mm-hmm. to allow them to analyze and adapt to situations in life that come up. 
because that's yeah. what happens. It's life. And and like this is the the impact that it had on me. So before I started using this stuff consistently, I talk about, you know, getting really frustrated running into a brick wall repeatedly. That's not enjoyable. And as I said earlier, if you're a college athlete, your sport is your job and and you love it, right? You want to do well in it. So just because I wasn't seeing progress and I was running myself into a brick wall doesn't mean that I wasn't still expecting myself to be getting better. It doesn't mean that I didn't want that for myself, right? So I'm making myself seriously frustrated, starting to question whether or not I can do it because at the heart of that is truly just a person who wants to get better. But the strategies that I was using were literally preventing me from being able to do that. So let's insert a lot of red flag emotions, anger, frustration, border, like just unhappy, right? I was unhappy a lot. Mm-hmm. And then you insert these tools and it's like you go from running in the dark with no idea of where you're going, just smacking yourself on brick walls to like having a clear destination point, knowing where you're running, knowing the specific directions and how to get there. And then getting mile markers along the way of like, hey, you're three quarters of the way there. Hey, you're there. Let's make a new goal. Mm-hmm. Right. So like and, and the emotions that get associated with that process, I was happier. I was calmer. I was curious instead of frustrated. And I felt a little more confident, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I was confident. But you can't look at the difference in those two emotions and tell me that this stuff doesn't impact mental health because the mental health of the person who was frustrated, who was unhappy, who was questioning whether or not I was even supposed to be there doesn't have an entirely different outlook on life than the person who's happy and experiencing joy in their life and who's confident. Like there's the, the mental health outcomes of those two people are completely different. Absolutely. I mean, we we talk about the importance of emotions in, I would say, life in general, but specifically in sport and how that impacts your ability to show up and perform. So mm-hmm. obviously the person who is happy, who is excited, who is like confident in the way that they're about to step out on the ice versus someone who's deeply unhappy and extremely frustrated and just got a lot of overwhelming stress that's pressing down on their shoulders, of course, they're not going to show up and give you the same performance results. And if they do, there's a pretty good chance that they're suffering very, very much in other areas of their life. Yeah. And it's only going to work for so long. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's exactly what happened to me. Like I was doing really great for my first, second, and I would say probably halfway through my third year of university. And then that's where that brick wall came in because over time of doing these same things, like these following these strategies that are ultimately causing me to burn out because I'm burning my candle at every single possible end that of course I can't sustain that long-term and pair that with other things that are happening outside of sport, like relationships and the stress of school and stresses from you know financial standpoint for a lot of students, like all of those things compounded on top of how I was feeling about being at the rink and not performing well and being frustrated because normally when I'm at the rink, like that is my safe place. And now all of a sudden I'm not seeing or feeling the same kind of emotions and results that I was used to in the past that just adds an extra level of frustration and anger and like this feeling of being stuck to the point where I was feeling super depressed and on top of it was clinically diagnosed with anxiety and had to go on medication and start to see uh, a counselor at school as well so Mm -hmm. it makes a huge difference 100% yeah. And it's not, we're not here saying that it's a silver bullet for everybody. Mental health care is so helpful in so many different ways. And there are people who medication is the best route for them. Mm-hmm. But for your typical high achieving athlete who starts to struggle with confidence and 
knowing where they want to go in life, feeling like they're making progress. Mental skills training is a great way to proactively address where they're at mentally so that it doesn't morph into something more. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't, I don't know why more people haven't figured this out yet. Um, I know that it's relatively new still, but if you give people an idea or tools that will help them deal with the stress that naturally comes along with being a student athlete or being a professional athlete, and you're also giving them tools that are going to help them in life. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if you have this stat, Taylor, but I know the NCAA did a, a study on student athletes versus regular students um, and their mental health. And I'm pretty sure that student athletes experience um, like mental health issues, like 30% more almost. Yeah. So I don't know if it's from the NCAA. So the stat that I do have is uh, from a website called Athletes for Hope. And the stat mm -hmm. that they shared was that with young adults, especially college athletes, the statistics are startling. 33% of college students experience significant symptoms of depression, anxiety, and other mental health conditions. Among that group, 30% seek help. So 30% of the 33% seek help. But of college athletes with mental health conditions, only 10% seek the help that they need. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, that's not really like the, the differentiation in terms of, you know, the the mental health experiences from non-athlete student students to uh, student athletes. Um, but I did talk a little bit about the global statistics um, versus the, the statistics in mental health for professional athletes in last week's episode. So global mental health stats show that one in four people will be affected by a mental health illness at some point in their life. So that's 25% of the global population, which I'd say is already a pretty staggering number in and of itself. Um, yeah. But when it comes to athletes, specifically professional athletes, data shows that up to 35% of elite athletes suffer from a mental health crisis, which can manifest as stress, eating disorders, burnout, or depression and anxiety. Yeah. So athletes experience or are at more risk of experiencing those mental health issues. Yeah. So I have a couple um, stats. I knew that I had it somewhere. Um, this is from the Journal of Clinical Sports Psychology, and it it was a, a 2020 study done with NCAA Division I student-athletes. Um, they found that they're at an increased risk for anxiety, depression, disordered eating, substance abuse, and adjustment problems. Mm -hmm. um, they found that athletes consistently scored lower in mental health, um, different rankings than non-athletes. And I think the really uh, worrisome piece is that college athletes are three times uh, less likely to seek help when they experience mental health issues than their non-athlete counterparts. Mm -hmm. And the study found that the perceived stigma to mental health is what prevents athletes from reaching out. Three times less likely than the regular student body. Mm, that's, so that needs to change. Come in full circle here with the leadership stuff. Mm -hmm. As leaders, we have the ability to absolutely crumble the stigma, right? We have the ability to take out the legs of support for any belief around mental health being something that you can't talk about, being a weakness, being something that makes you soft or incapable of playing your sport. As coaches, we have the ability to do that through the way that we lead our people. Mm -hmm. And so it's, which... the big... <laughs> <laughs> it's the biggest thing that keeps athletes from reaching out is a perception of how it makes them weak. Well, it's, it's tough because I know that I was, you know, in a similar situation when I was mm -hmm. in university, like that's exactly how I felt, especially, you know, when there's only two goalies on a team, like and you're consistently battling it out for practice and games to see who's going to get the most ice time. Yeah. If I, if I feel like if I tell my coach, like, Hey, I'm kind of struggling a little bit, like mentally, mm -hmm. my thought process at the time was I'm going to lose ice time. 
he's going to think that I'm not, I'm not, you know, mentally prepped to, to be able to go out and perform and, and be the backstopper that I need to be for the team. Yeah. And so that's, you know, from, for me was my experience and I'm sure a lot of other athletes feel that same way a hundred percent. And so maybe before we close out, we can speak to that a little bit because by opening up and sharing what you're going through one, you're actually kind of allowing those emotions to leave your body, which is a big thing. Like just talking to someone helps a lot. And two, you're encouraging other people who might be experiencing the same thing who are also simultaneously thinking that I'm the only one feeling this right now. And, you know, if I talk about it, then I'm going to be seen as weak. You're going to make them feel a little bit, a bit better because yeah. they aren't going through this loan. They understand that because what you've just shared, they're also feeling and like you're creating a more inclusive and open culture or environment with the team. Hmm. I just, when you create an environment that supports those things, people get to show up as their full selves. And when people get to show up as authentically who they are, they're not trying to hide stuff. They're not trying to bury stuff. They just get to do, and they just get to be, and they get to be in a better headspace, which if you're a coach who's looking for performance outcomes, that is naturally going to end up producing them. Because we all know that when athletes are in a better headspace, when they're happy, when they're enjoying what they're doing, they perform better because they don't have that intentionally decreased work ethic. They don't intentionally decrease their quality of their work. They increase it because they enjoy the process. And it all starts with being able to show up as who you are. Mm -hmm. And that includes struggling with mental health. We all struggle with mental health. Athletes are way more likely to struggle with mental health because there's a shit ton of pressure that they're under. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just making that abundantly clear. <laughs> if you're still not on board with this idea that taking care of your athlete's mental health will improve their athletic performance, I don't know how else to spell it out. Mm -hmm. I wish that there was another way to spell it out, but unfortunately there's only so much that we are able to do. And part of uh, what we do is getting on here, ideally aspirationally every week, but not always mm -hmm. possible with uh, time zones and everything going on. Um, mm -hmm. But on that note, if you are a coach or if you are a GM or an AD or anybody who is interested in getting some more information about mental performance coaching, whether that be for a team, for an athlete, or for yourself, all of the links for our programs and for our coaching and, and any sort of like consultation links, they are in the description for this podcast episode, for every podcast episode. So just scroll down and you'll find it there. Um, highly encourage anybody who's interested in learning more to reach out and book that consult. We are always super happy to talk about these kind of things. Um, and yeah, do you have anything else that you wanted to add before signing off here, Lauren? Um, I know that budgets are tight, right? I've experienced that firsthand, but I think you need to start looking at where you're going to get the most value. And I know that a lot of programs put a decent amount of money into team bonding activities. And while I think that team bonding activities are great, I also think it's an awesome way to bond with your teammates by getting to know them better and getting to know yourself better so that you can actually be who you are with them. Um, we can get creative about team bonding, right? You can find so many different ways to bond your team together that don't require you to spend two to three grand on an activity. Mm -hmm. So while they're important, my question, I guess my last question is how important is your student athlete's mental health? And if it's not at the top of that list of things that you're willing to invest in, then I think you need to take a look at your own perspective on life. <laughs> because 
take a look at those priorities one more time. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. People before athletes, always, always, always. Um, well, I think that's, that's the, that's the spot to leave it at. I think this was a great conversation and I hope that people listening take away a lot of really important information from it. Um, and you know, as always, please go ahead and like, share, subscribe, rate, review, whatever you have to do to help share the message of this podcast, please go ahead and do it. We really appreciate all of the support that we get, whether that's on social or from just signing in and seeing the the uh, the analytics on views. Like we really do appreciate this and we want to make sure that we're making a bigger impact. And the only way to do that is by making sure that the leaders are well-equipped with the tools that they need to make sure that they're creating a safe and supportive environment for their athletes. So on that note, thank you all so much for tuning into another week and we'll see you next week. Bye.